Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I am Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're talking about the world's most scientific diet. Is it really all it's cracked up to be? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. If you have a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us using the hashtag Medical Minefield. You can also follow us on Twitter at MedMinefield. So, Eve, I think it would be fair to say that you are not a fan of diets. No, hate diets. Why is that? <laughs> um, multiple reasons. <clears throat> they don't work for a start. For a start, they don't work. And they are often based on very flimsy evidence, well, or, or dreamt up by someone who has a plan to make a lot of money, basically, because diets mm. don't work, but they do make a lot of money. Because it has to be pointed out that people have been going on diets forever, but it doesn't seem to be working. We have more diets now available to purchase or just to do for free than we possibly ever have done before. And yet we still have more people who are obese and overweight than we ever have done before. So work that out. Riddle me that. Well, you've been looking this week at the latest of these uh, grand plans to help us shape up. Uh, I mean, I guess it's it's slightly more nuanced. It's not just lose 10 stone in five weeks or whatever. It's it's far more involved than that. And it's interestingly, it's been created by Professor Tim Spector, who's been a guest on Medical Minefield and is the man behind the Zoe COVID tracker app. He's now produced something called the Zoe Diet. Yes. So this was actually in the offing from way before the COVID symptom tracker. We obviously know him for that, but this is kind of where he cut his teeth was in nutrition science. And this is um, his patch really and always has been. So he has been collecting lots and lots of data from participants in an experiment that's been going on for best part of about 25 years, where he has got lots of volunteers to eat lots of different foods. And he's then tracked their blood sugars to see how their body processes different ingredients, so carbohydrates, fats. He's also really interested in the microbiome, as many scientists seem to be these days. So along with testing people's blood glucose responses to food um, and fat responses to food, blood fat responses to food, he's also been testing their microbiome. So he's been taking stool samples to find out which bacteria seem to be linked to certain health outcomes. And he's now... Friendly bacteria in our stomach. Friendly bacteria, as well as the perhaps the bacteria that may be associated with not so positive health outcomes. So obesity. We wrote about this years back, I remember, when he'd taken identical twins. And he was asking this very interesting question about certain sets of identical twins, one of whom seemed to put on weight easily and one of whom seemed to be able to eat whatever they wanted and not put on weight. And, you know, I mean, we all know someone who seems to just shovel food down and is is thin as a pin. These people are terribly envy-inducing, especially when you get to middle age, I tell you, Eve because anything you eat seems to stick to just the parts you don't want it to. I don't know which parts because I'm looking at you and I can't see that, but okay. It's under the table. (laughs) Whatever you say. (laughs) 
But he feels like he's come up with an answer for that. And it's the way that our bodies uniquely process different foods. And the, the, because of the internal you know, biome inside us, these millions and millions of, of bacteria and viruses and other organisms that live in our digestive tract and the way they interact with the food that we eat, it determines exactly how much of it we digest, how much of it passes through us, etc. And it's, it sounds very plausible. I mean, but I mean, is there anything to it? Well, it certainly seems very convincing. It's, it's, as you said, very involved. It's quite a complex process. You uh, sign up and then you're sent this kit in the post, which is about £260. Whoa. Yeah, a bit of a bank breaker. And uh, you get this uh, thing called a continuous glucose monitor, which on the NHS is prescribing to diabetics at, um, at the moment. And that tracks... I've worn one of those. You have. I, I have also worn one now. I did this week. <laughs> and it tracks your blood glucose in real time. You also log your food choices, so everything you eat and drink, into a paired app. And what happens is the glucose monitor connects with the app and is able to give you an indication of what your blood sugar is doing in response to the foods that you've logged. But that's only one element of this. The other element is the microbiome. So you do a stool sample, nice. which you send off, yes, which you take yourself. You How then, do you do that? So it comes with this little, like, it's kind of like a, a nappy, and you put that over the toilet, <laughs> and then Brilliant. you, it's like a paper nappy, and you put that over the toilet, you go and do your business, and it collects in the nappy, and then, I mean, if you've ever taken a stool sample, it comes with a kind of <laughs> a handy scooper in the test tube. Oh and you God. take your sample, put it in, pop it in the post, and you're done. So you don't send the whole product? <laughs> no, just a sample. <laughs> you don't have it a sounds like hate mail. Try to shove it in the test tube. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, the other element is what Professor Spector and his team are trying to do is find out exactly how each person's body reacts to foods that are very high in sugar and very high in fat. Oh, the muffins. The muffins. So... As well as your glucose monitor and your stool sample kit, you also get an array of muffins and you have to, on the third and fourth day of the programme, you have to fast and you eat these muffins and uh, on the third day you do a finger prick test to measure your levels of fat in the blood after you've eaten the muffins. And on the fourth day, you don't do a finger prick test because it's the sugary muffins and the glucose monitor that is already on your arm is going to pick up what's happening it's very complicated i have to say i ate one of your muffins earlier yeah i don't think we were supposed to eat the muffins for this exercise but <laughs> i was desperate and i didn't really like it well i you know i'll eat anything really i think if you're that hungry i think it was one of the sugary muffins yeah because the sugary ones had the crackled risen top which you it only was get quite heavy sugar. it was a bit like airline food but i actually quite like airline food oh so not not too bad well, mm. it wasn't the muffin of my dreams. You wouldn't choose it. No, it was quite medicinal. Mm. When you started telling me about this, I kept on asking you, what's the weight loss? How much weight mm. do you lose? Because obviously, thinking as a tabloid journalist, these things often have a promise. You you will lose three stone in six months or, or whatever. But it's not like that, is it? Well, on the website, they've done preliminary analysis of some of their users, um, their early users, and um, they found that on average, people tend to lose... I think it's about nine pounds within 12 weeks. So that's about half a stone. 
Okay. So not terrible if you're mm. looking to lose weight. But Professor Spector is very keen that this isn't marketed as a weight loss product because he's saying that he is trying to teach everyone to understand which foods are best for their body and therefore have a healthier diet, which will have long-term effects in terms of preventing diseases like heart disease, diabetes, etc., which, as we know, also often come with being overweight. So therefore, you're going to prevent yourself from becoming overweight. The, the key here is it's supposed to be a method of controlling your appetite's signals. Mm. So if you follow the plan and you listen to the advice that's worked out based on your personal profile and mm. all of your measurements, etc., then you will be eating foods that keep you fuller for longer, mean you're less likely to snack and mean you're not prone to these really high sugar peaks and then sugar crashes, which is linked to higher instances of inflammation, as well as increased risks of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. But going back to what we talked about at the start, that you're not a fan of diets, that you have reservations about diets, and it comes from specifically the immense amount of research and work that you've done looking at the negative consequences of obsessing over foods. Yes, correct. So I have been very vocal about my history of eating disorders, well, an eating disorder, specifically anorexia in my early 20s. And that was a kind of jumping off point for me. I realised that although what I had gone through was obviously the extreme end, and I developed a mental health condition, and obviously not everyone that goes on a diet will develop a serious mental health condition, you know, you cannot ignore the fact that all of these messages about losing weight are so ingrained in the way that we live our lives every day. And they have huge effects on people. Well, before we go any further, let's hear from one of the scientists behind the plan. Yes, we're joined now by Dr. Emily Leeming, who is one of the nutritional scientists on the Zoe app. Dr. Leeming, can you explain to us why this diet or lifestyle plan is different from all the other diets that have ever gone before it? Yes, I mean, definitely. So the Zoe programme is very different from other programmes. We really look at your unique biology to give you specific dietary advice and lifestyle advice based on your needs. And we really help support you through that. So we have personalized food schools to help give you understanding of what foods you should be eating. But also we give you this program that we take you through. We have amazing coaches who are there hand in hand with you. And the reason it's different from other programs is that Specifically, other programs tend to be very calorie focused, whereas we very much believe that we need to help you to feel more full to really support and nourish your body, to help your metabolic health and to help your gut health. Dr. Leeming, there are some who might say that the whole point of eating a healthy diet and, um, you know, in the context of our life is to be able to enjoy food and that perhaps this is causing people or could cause people to become too obsessive with the numbers and the, you know, the measurements and looking at the app after everything they eat. What do you think about that? I think that's a great question. And I'm really happy that you've asked that because that's something we've taken into mind throughout the programme. So, we're very much about helping people to add more foods back into their diet. So we're very positive, nutrition focused. We very much encourage including all foods. So there's no food that's off the table. And we really support people to get in tune with their hunger and satiety. So every day we say, you know, check in with your energy levels, check in with your hunger levels. So it's not about restricting. It's about supporting your health 
for better. And we, we take in that into so much consideration throughout the programme. There's many elements that, that kind of touch in on that. Um, and we really think about that very much all-encompassing aspects of health. We look at not just talking about food, but also touching on sleep, uh, on movement, and really kind of advocating to help support the user in a very coach-friendly way. Dr. Leeming, you mentioned that no foods are off the table and determining what people can and can't eat. And I know what has made me put on weight over the last few years. And it's because, you know, I've moved less because of the various different restrictions. Although now, you know, obviously we're able to go back to the gym and all sorts. And I have also uh, discovered a huge love for pasta again. And I have it as often as possible. And there's also my burger habit. And, uh, and then there's the pizzas. And that's just uh, before I have the chocolate. And um, so those are the things that made me put on weight. And I think most people will realise those things make them put on weight. And if I cut back on those, magically, I lose a bit of weight. Do you really need blood glucose monitors and tests and a 260 pound kit to tell you that? So, I mean, I don't see personalised nutrition as being separate from you know, general dietary advice. There's, there's things that you know, we, we unanimously feel confident about that are very much, you know, the bread and butter of nutrition. So, you know, there's things that we know, you know, for everybody having, you know, more fruits and vegetables is beneficial for everybody. But within that, there are certain kind of elements where, you know, giving people the kind of empowerment to really understand more about their body. So, you know, we can see actually that some people do tend to, you know, they have the glucose peaks, for example, and they're in they're not diabetic and having more understanding about what's specifically happening for them and just connecting the dots between understanding, okay, hold on, maybe I had that and how do I feel? It's about how they feel. It's about do they feel more energetic afterwards? They feel less hungry. And mm-hmm. and we really know that helping somebody to feel empowered is really the, the kind of greatest thing you can do in terms of changing your diet. But I'll put it more more bluntly, you know, there's no great mystery to what makes us put on weight. So what's the point of, of all this fandango? Oh, I think I think weight is incredibly complex. I think it's something that, you know, we have multiple kind of health policies and to look at and, you know, for some people who are really struggling with, with kind of weight loss or kind of or even people struggling to put on weight. You know, we see from our own research that, that everybody is very different. But they eat too much. They eat too many calories. That's, I mean, that's why people put on weight, because they eat too many calories. They eat too many of the delicious, calorific pastas. I think, I think it can be, you know, that can be very much true for, for one person. But I think there's, you know, weight is very complex. There's many different, you know, multifactorial elements that go into it. And a lot of the onus, you know, possibly isn't necessarily on there's so many different factors going on in our body. Yeah, it's not it's not the pasta itself, but it's the fact that I have a triple portion and love every minute of it. I mean, there isn't a huge mystery. It's eating too many calories. I mean, I think it's very easy to be very calorie focused. And something that we try and do, we're very much focus on at Zoe, is that we look actually about the quality of the food. So we're looking at, you know, increasing, you know, fruits and vegetables, all those increasing those foods that we know, you know, great for your biology. And the things that are going to help you feel full, so having, you know, high fiber, having enough plants, um, those are the things that, you know, inherently are great for supporting your health. You know, no matter what, what number is on the scale, you know, it's about supporting, you know, healthy behaviors. 
I've actually been lucky enough to speak to some of the users of, of the Zoe app over the past few days who are, you know, absolutely rave about it and are really pleased. But one thing that really struck me was that all of the recommendations that they were given, none of them seemed to be particularly surprising to me. So, you eat know, it was eat, eat some more nuts. Don't snack on biscuits, snack on nuts instead. Have more vegetables with your meal. If you're going to have a crisp or two, maybe have some avocado with it too which I did, that was maybe one that I thought was slightly strange. But most of it seemed to be pretty middle of the road, very mainstream, healthy eating advice. I guess I guess this really comes back to, you know, what are we kind of bracketing personalised nutrition as? You know, I think, like I said before, we, we definitely include, you know, general, not going against general population advice. There's, there's very strong evidence to show exactly what you said, that we need to have, you know, more plants and all those elements. But between that, Personalized nutrition is taking account your own biology, but it's also, you know, helping you along the way of how can we give, you know, specific advice that works for you. So, for example, you know, a lot of people who come to the Zoe products, you know, are going through menopause and how might we actually, you know, evolve and think about how we can support someone through that. It's like having a dietitian in your pocket. I can see in the app that, for example, you know, this specific food needs you probably need to have a bit more of that maybe a bit less and we get that information from looking at your blood glucose response we look at your blood lipid response and we look at your gut microbiome and actually we have this like wide variation between the advice that we do give um, depending on what people's results are and I think you know again it circles back to this you know people putting the power in other people's hands to in their own hands to really understand what's happening in their body, so what actions that they can mean and helping them to really know what's happening and they can see it. Do you think uh, an innovation like this would be helpful as a, on a kind of wider public health scale? Do you think it could potentially be used to tackle the obesity crisis? You know, we have such a huge demographic who come to, to use the product. It's not necessarily about weight. You know, our, our kind of, you know, we're here to kind of help people support their metabolic uh, health and also their gut health. So some people do come come to us for weight loss, but again, a huge proportion of people don't come to us for weight. They're confused about nutrition and they're trying to understand more about what's happening in their bodies. So, you know, I think there's a place for many different approaches, as we know in kind of nutrition, that it's about kind of finding the thing that works for you. And if that's what suits you, then, then great. But again, it goes back to this kind of blanket approach. You know, should everybody do, be doing one thing? It very much depends on the individual. Well, incredibly interesting. Uh, Dr. Leeming, thank you very much for sparing some time to talk to us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. I'd go back to what I said. I know what it is that makes me put Mm. on weight. If I feel a bit blobby, then I might cut back on those foods that I know make me put on weight. And I don't need to spend 260 quid for someone to tell me to have an apple as a snack rather than a Kit Kat. Yeah. I also find... But the Kit Kat's so much tastier. Come on. I love a Kit Kat. Peanut butter Kit Kat Crunchy is the king of Kit Kats. I also don't buy this idea that it's not a weight loss product. It may not be marketed in that way, but come on. I mean, anyone who is investing in any sort of this kind of diety, nutrition-y programme 
the bottom line, even if they don't want to admit it to themselves, is that they're looking to change the way that they look. They're looking to change their body shape. Well, interestingly, the the case study that was offered by the Zoe app people was um, <laughs> male supermodel Paul Schulfer. Yeah, who said that he didn't really have a problem with his weight, but he had, for the entirety of his career, worried about of his course. body shape because that's his job. Yeah. And he's tried many different things over the years to, to help him stay in shape. Full disclosure, we instantly uh, Google. <laughs> Paul Schulfer body. And, you know, I mean, he's a 51-year-old father mm. of, of two, three, you know, has this gorgeous family, mm. uh, you know, what what a great life. And, and yeah, I mean, he, he looks like a, a 51-year-old dad of, yeah. of uh, you know... Who's still got it, He's still way. got it. But, he you know, he doesn't look like he did when he was 20 and mm. took his top off all the time and he had a six-pack. And is, is that what he's after? And I don't think that someone like that is going to think, I'm going to do this app because... I just want to find out a little bit about what my blood sugar's doing and what my microbiome is. Oh, rubbish. Of course not. And also this idea that people who are trying to kind of pitch these products away from the diet space try and argue that it's all about improving metabolic health. Well, we know that most people who are at risk of problems with their metabolic health are at risk because they become overweight or obese. Mm. You know, that's the main risk factor. And the vast majority of people with cardiovascular disease will have cardiovascular disease because they have a lifestyle related problem which is usually related to excess weight and I just think that not making that clear link which we know to be true or trying to deny that clear link I slightly find irritating. Well next on the line is someone who I think agrees with you the brilliant Dr Dwayne Meller. Joining us now is Dr. Dwayne Meller, who is a registered dietitian and the head of nutrition at Aston University. Dr. Meller, can you tell us uh, why you think that personalised nutrition programmes like this may not necessarily be the best or healthiest idea? Well, if you look at a lot of the outputs, it tends to be eat less refined foods, particularly refined carbohydrates, sugar, less fats and more vegetables, fruit, nuts and seeds which do you really need to go to the expense of two, three hundred pounds to have the, the tests done and get that data? The other issue is, does it really help build a healthy relationship with food? Because you're using data to make decisions which are ultimately human and lots of aspects around food behavior should be more intuitive and shared with other people. So it's taking away some of that human nature of eating yes you could argue it could encourage you to make healthier choices but surely it's best to make those healthier choices through enjoyment of food and looking to eat a variety of food and explore food that way rather than being told by a machine Dr. Mello, I was interested in what you said about looking at data to make food choices. And, and one part of this diet plan is to wear a continuous blood glucose monitor. Do you think that there could be a downside to that? I've seen these things being marketed more and more in the diet sphere. Do you think that, that everyone could benefit from wearing a blood glucose monitor and knowing exactly how much their blood sugar rises after they eat things? Well, if you actually look at the evidence, there is good evidence of people with type 1 diabetes and we we have sort of strong guidance that people with type 1 diabetes have these devices available, but they need to be able to make judgments on how much insulin they give. If it works how it should and you don't have diabetes and your glucose levels are, are normal, then there is no evidence of benefit and you are creating lots of data which potentially you have a limited amount of control over. 
you know, the variability in glucose after even something standard like a glucose drink is not good. You know, you can get up to sort of three quarters at best in the same person. It varies. If you take the same person at different times of the day because of how other hormones change, it will vary. If you change the exercise before or after you eat, it will vary. So you're getting a lot of data. And for some people, data is not necessarily helpful. It can cause stress. You know, we've had concerns about putting calorie labels on menus can lead to trigger people with eating disorders. There are risks with this as well, that it could be unsafe for some people who are at risk of eating disorders. There is evidence, though, that people who do have these big peaks in blood sugar and then quite extreme dips after a meal are more likely to go on to develop diabetes and um, other cardiovascular diseases. Is that not the case? So there might be something in this? There is, but you're not necessarily measuring the glucose in the right place because if you're having the symptoms from it, it'll be in the brain or in the arteries. You're actually measuring it under the skin, which is behaving slightly differently. So you're not measuring it directly. So there's a number of inferences there. And if someone is actually reporting those symptoms of sort of feeling that they have these dips after eating, you know, when I was working as a dietitian many years ago, we didn't need glucose sensors to, to solve the problem. You gave them the advice, which is, you choose foods which are controlled in the amount of carbohydrate that have their more slow release in the carbohydrate, and you plan your eating pattern. So we didn't need the device to know that. You'd actually promote something which is similar to what many people would call a sort of a healthy, simple diet. So you're actually making something more technical that doesn't need to be. And there's, there's a review that's been done that's looked at personalized nutrition and there's not really any evidence so far that's saying you could use all this data or you could actually go to someone talk who's a dietitian or a nutritionist who can actually do that personalized plan with you, work through your eating plans, work through your symptoms and give you a personalized tailored advice. You know, there's no evidence that that, that is mm. any better than using all this technology. And one big part of this is the microbiome. People have to who use the Zoe app have to do a stool sample and then we're they're told that it is analyzed for the 30 key gut bacteria. So you've got 15 bad and 15 good. You know, given that it's it's the kind of hot topic in nutrition research at the moment, don't you think that, that this is a positive thing that people are gonna be able to find out more about what's lurking in their guts given that we know that that's so important for health so the science bit is probably sound you know the the idea of good and bad bacteria bacteria don't have moral compasses they're just trying to survive and it just so happens that some of them produce things that are beneficial for us so we'll leave that bit there if you're looking at sort of measuring it does it make a difference to to what you do you know the advice is eat a variety of fruits and plants that's not going to differ because you have a variety of those different fibers which allow the bacteria which produce the things that we want to thrive. By analysing that, our science and evidence isn't there yet to know we can manipulate it. Because these things can be so dynamic if you're unwell, if you have antibiotics, even sort of hormonal changes can change some, some of these bacteria. It's not a static thing, it changes. So having a sample that then tells you to eat something else, how do you know it's not going to be the same in a month's time, six months' time? It's not constant. And also, if you're measuring the stuff that comes out, the bacteria that comes out, that's assuming that's the same as the bacteria that remain behind. You know, it's, it's like looking around where you live on a housing estate during the summer and thinking, well, these are the people here. Are the people on holiday the same? 
you know, it's a similar sort of thing. You're looking at the bacteria that have gone on holiday, not the ones that have stayed at home. And are they the same? You only know that by actually sort of putting tubes in to find out, which is unpleasant. And that will be way beyond what we need to know because the basic advice doesn't really change that much by knowing this extra bit of information. Do you think the focus on the microbiome and perhaps the, the supposed benefits have been somewhat overblown in general? I think there's things that are interesting there and the science is definitely growing in a value. The question where you get into this is, are we measuring the right thing? And by knowing this extra information, does it change what we do? And it probably doesn't because, you know, it's not just about the bacteria. It's looking at the viruses that infect the bacteria. And there's a whole host of work going across Europe looking at that. And they're coming to the same conclusion, which is what your mum really tells you to eat your greens. So we're going into this detail and detail and detail, but it goes back to the same message, eat a variety of different foods and plants. So by having this extra investment in it, it may motivate you. That could be a bad, good thing. But also it could cause stress if you, you, know, you don't have quite the bacteria, same bacteria as your neighbour who seems slightly healthier than you. When ultimately, will it change your behaviour? Will it change what you need to do? And the answer is probably not much. There's no doubt that this is going to be successful in its own way because these kinds of things always are successful because people are very, very keen to consume the latest diet and be told to eat more sauerkraut and that will be the answer or to have more kale and that will be the answer. Why do you think these things are so enduringly popular? The honest answer, because the basic truth of following a simple, healthy, affordable diet is dull. That's it, it's dull. And if you package up the same message with some nice shiny ribbons and the shiny thing approach, which you could argue all this technology does, although the science underpinning this technology is valid, the question is whether you need it or not as the average human being, is it makes it a bit more exciting. It makes you invest in it. it. It buys you into it. It's a little bit like when you're watching TV and you have to wait until the next week for that next episode and you get excited about it and you're talking about it. It's different to be able to sort of just download it all and want to binge watch it it's the idea of building that sort of it's not necessarily hype it's that attachment which is important as part of our psychology and we attach ourselves to the latest thing even though kale is basically just cabbage that was cheap in the 80s which is now expensive because it's been made popular <laughs> it's making dull things exciting and we need to focus on making simple healthy food exciting if you go back to the basic mediterranean diet that is the food that was available in the islands and the rural bits of Greece and, and Crete and places like that. It wasn't exciting. It just happened to be the food that was available. People ate it and lived for a long time and didn't have many sort of chronic diseases. But if you put that sort of in a, a British context and tell people to have lots of stews and cabbages, it sounds dull. It's about making things attachable and a little bit more exciting. Do you think the bottom line with all of these things is that there is this um, ever searching for a weight loss secret that everyone is really, you know, you can package it up however you want, but everyone really is just trying to lose weight? I, I think that is a dangerous thing to look at is because the focus too much in our society is on weight rather than health and and feeling better and be able to improve your, your longevity ultimately that's what you want to do your weight is not always the key thing and yes it's, it's not necessarily exciting it's exercise and a sensible diet i think a lot of people are actually sort of reaching out for that perfect diet and they're using technology and numbers to try and guide them this idea of quantified self which is measuring very much markers and coming up with various algorithms and and things around time and what we need to think about is does this actually allow us to enjoy life more do enjoy our food more. 
possibly not. Is there a perfect diet? Probably not. People have adapted to all corners of our planet, eating all varieties of food. There is not one perfect diet for one human being that can be dying by AI. It's about using a variety of foods that are available, keeping it relatively simple. And the other thing we forget that's important that we've seen from the populations from the Mediterranean where they've got long, healthy lives, it's about the social aspects of food. Food is about sharing, not just about the, the chemicals that are in it. Well, Dr. Mella, it's uh, fascinating to have you on as always. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. When when Dr. Mella mentioned planning your eating patterns, I suddenly did think about what I was going to eat later, and that might well be pasta. I did the same thing. I'm trying not to eat as much pasta as I used to eat because... Why? It's so good. I know. Yeah, well, this is the thing, isn't it? You you think, oh, I should probably change it up or I should probably do this or I should probably... Don't change. Why? But going back to what he said, I mean, I think the thing is, I mean, everyone does want to lose weight. Whether it's mm. when we're younger, we want to lose weight because we want to look good naked, uh, as <laughs> Kevin <yourself>. Spacey said... <laughs> very famously. Oh, God. And then maybe when we're older and the, the majority of letters that we get um, when we do weight loss stuff, I think people are much more concerned about losing weight because they may have health problems mm. that would benefit from them losing weight. So, and I think people worry getting older, don't they? That absolutely. They know yeah. that if they are a healthy weight, then they're you know much more likely to stay healthier for longer. But I think it becomes a struggle when you've got, you know, problems with mm. your knees or, mm. you know, you've got diabetes and, you know, you're having to manage medication and, you know, losing weight would just be a weight off mm. really <laughs> so you know ultimately people are looking for that but I, I once interviewed a weight loss doctor and I, I always ask these people why is it that everyone is so overweight and he said it's because you've got two extremes of, of a spectrum you've got polar bears who only need to eat once every few months or even you know just one big meal every half a year and they just absorb everything and they hold it in and every scrap of nutrition they eat goes into their body and and it gets laid down and that's how they survive these huge polar winters etc and then on the other end of the scale you have oysters who have to live in their food because they can't retain any kind of nutrition within their body so they have to have it running through the whole time they have to be in a soup of of nutrition basically to survive and he says that essentially we're polar bears in an oysters environment these days that we're mm. surrounded by food mm. and we really don't need to eat that mm. often mm. however when it's everywhere and it's so pleasurable and it's such a part of being a person that we you know, we share food and we, you know, it's it's part of our relationships mm. and it's, you know, your first date is a meal often and we celebrate all the big calendar events, you know, with big meals, banquets almost. Food is a big part of our lives and, and so we, we eat a lot. I do sort of think that there's lots of things about our society that have been kind of increasingly negative and probably less healthful over the last, I don't know, what, 30, 40 years. But I think to some extent what's going on now with lifestyle-related diseases is sort of an inevitability because lots of things have happened which means that, you know, our lives are much easier now. We wouldn't want to go back to 40 years ago. I mean, there is always this kind of like harking back to a simpler time, but actually things were difficult. People were 
poorly nourished. And I did a piece uh, years back where we looked at the average body sizes mm. and I found old records of the measurements for army uniforms and the largest standard male waist measurement for an army uniform was 32 inches. Wow. And so anything bigger than mm. that, you would have had to have had specially made. Like that was that was the biggest. Mm. And it was quite common to be much smaller than that. You know, their, their standard sizes went down to 26 inch waist. Can you imagine a grown man with a 26 inch waist? But it was because people were less well nourished and their parents were less well nourished. And that all changed after the war, mm. you know, and, and things got better. I mean, there were illnesses there that we don't have now. And I think that that's one reason why is because we have better nutrition. Um in some ways, you know, you could say the pendulum swung too far in the mm. other direction. As it does. Yes, <laughs> as it tends to. As we always kind of come back to when we talk about these issues, the the crux of the problem, which we has been looked at in a lot of research, is the fact that, you know, the people who are really struggling with obesity are not the same demographic who are going to be paying £400 for a barrage of tests and an app. It's uh, it's a much more complicated problem for those people. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the other thing that I want to point out is the microbiome stuff. Obviously, the science is interesting, you know, knowing that there is all this flora inside us and how it's very integral into the messages that are sent throughout our body and blah, blah, blah. But... You know, ultimately, we only ever really hear about it on the whole when it's being packaged in a diet yes. that's being sold to us. Or a supplement, or a supplement that claims yeah. to help with IBS. It's always a commercial product. Mm. Uh, one diet book publisher once told me that she would just carry on forever. It was a seam of gold is how she described it. Oh, that sends chills down my spine. So I take it you won't be, uh, you know, signing up to the, to the Zoe app yourself. Um, I can think of lots of other things that I'd rather do. Like have pasta. Exactly. Hooray. Well, that's all we have time for. You can read all about this and all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in newspaper form on the Mail app or on mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.